Father, thank you for the gospel and thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, how he was born uh, to go to the cross, to bear our sin, and that in him and in him alone we can stand today just in your presence. Father, we want to live effective and vibrant lives for Jesus in 2015. So as we take some time to think about the priorities of our lives, would you please, through your Holy Spirit, convict us and teach us and show us how to live. Help us to readily receive the instruction of your word and to let it, as that, that plunging sword of truth, go deep within us and root out false thinking, wrong philosophies, and help us to see Christ and Him alone and help us to understand our world and all of our values through the lens of Scripture alone. We need your strength and we ask for it as we study the Word together and that you would transform us through the power of the Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you've heard me say it a bunch of times, and even in the Christmas series, let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew. But we're back in the Sermon on the Mount today. And I want you to just take your Bibles, and I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 6, and I want to revisit a passage that we've already had our first message on, but I kind of got stuck And I'm going to tell you why a little bit, and I want us to be challenged today by this most remarkable concept that we can lay up treasure in heaven. The title of our message today is Laying Up Treasure in Heaven, Priorities for the New Year. Let's read these verses of our Lord's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. I have to tell you that... um, These verses have impacted me in a new and a fresh way, going back to when we hit this passage and preached our first message on it before our Christmas series. You might say, well, Pastor Van, why are we on this passage again if we've already have it? Well, we're going through Matthew and we need to kind of get up to speed again as we work our way verse by verse through Matthew's gospel. We'll not apologize for that. It also occurred to me that We're at the end of a year, and we're at the threshold of a new year, and that this is an ideal passage to force us to think through the priorities of our lives. That if we're not living the way God would have us live, that this is a great time to identify it, to address and and change course. And if it's true that we can, in this world, in this life, at this time, 
take the resources that God has given us. I'm talking physical, tangible resources, money, material things, the blessings that wealth can bring. And we are indeed a wealthy people, aren't we? That it is possible in this life to take natural resources given to us by God and to use it in a certain way that it becomes translated into an eternal treasure. I'm not sure what that's going to look like exactly or what those treasures will represent in eternity, but what a remarkable, stunning reality that I can take the stuff in my garage, the money in my bank account, and with the right heart attitude, I can use it in such a way that when I get to heaven, there will be an eternal, everlasting, physical, tangible treasure of some kind. I assume some of it would be spiritual. I take it that some of it is a, a literal, tangible type treasure, that there are rewards and treasures that I can be storing up in heaven. That is just remarkable. And if I haven't in 2014 been laying up treasure, then I sure better get with it in 2015. And so I think it's a great passage for us to spend some time thinking about. I also let you into my life enough to let you know that I've been thinking a lot lately about the brevity of life. I don't think it's a premonition. I don't think. I hope not. Have a new grandchild on the way, and so I'm wanting to see see him or her. And uh, I think it's maturity. Doesn't maturity show us how brief life is? It might be a picture that Janet took on Christmas Day as I was scanning through her phone, and I saw this overweight, out of shape, gray headed, pot bellied guy slumped over on a chair, and then I realized it was me. I thought, how did I get into my mid fifties already? And that life is brief. And and I think that it is possible to waste precious time and resources, these commodities with which God blesses our lives. And life goes by quickly, and it is possible to spend our entire life in useless endeavor. Shame on me. Shame on us. And if I am not storing up a treasure in heaven, this is just the most profound and life-defining element that I can lay up treasure in heaven. That is just a very great, you could say, really cool concept. Now, I've known this verse all my life, but I'm just finding it very compelling and I have to camp on it a little bit. And it is impacting my thinking and impacting my life and I want it very much to impact our congregation that we in this life can take natural resources and translate them into heaven into eternal treasures I hope you'll listen closely because I do not in any way want to be confusing about what we're talking about to further couch this message let's compare and contrast two, two men 
The first one we visited on our first message in Matthew 6, and he's found in Luke chapter 12. And if you don't want to turn there, you don't have to. You can just listen. But it's Luke chapter 12, and it's that parable of the rich fool. The guy who was very, very productive, and we commend him for his productivity. He was not lazy, and we love that about him. He is a guy who had opportunity, and he took opportunity. And he developed himself, and what a great model he is to us. And he must have fallen asleep one night, doodling and daydreaming over the blueprints that he was looking at as he was preparing to build bigger barns and bigger silos and bigger machinery sheds for his bigger tractors as he was going to do more with what he had and he was developing and he was moving forward and it's all great and evidently during the night he had an aneurysm and it was all over and in Luke chapter 12 verse 20 it says that God called him that night and said you fool you fool This night, your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? That's a great question to ask ourselves when we walk through our basement and walk through our garage and look in our closet and look in our desk drawers. We should ask ourselves, whose junk will this be? It's a little bit like, okay, buddy, God says, you spent your entire life stacking it up and now you're dead and you don't have your hands on it. What good is it? But listen to this. He said, so is the one. He said, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays, listen to this, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What does that mean? He's talking about tangible, physical things. He's talking about bank accounts and investments and corn cribs full of corn and cattle yards full of cattle in this guy's case. He's talking about the material things and he's showing that he has stacked these things up for his own indulgence and now it's over and he has done nothing in that curious phrase to be rich towards God. As though somehow I could benefit God with some of my stuff. The one who speaks the sunset into existence. The one who built Glacier National Park. The one who lets the Amazon River flow through the jungle. Like he needs me. Like somehow I can take my stuff and I can be rich towards God. That's exactly what it says. You know, it has to do with an attitude, doesn't it? It has to do, it has to do with what defines you. It has to do with what you're living for. Now let's contrast the rich fool with a guy who has a name, and that's in Hebrews chapter 11, and his name is Moses. And notice what it says about Moses in Hebrews 11 verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I think this is partly on my mind because for a Christmas present on Friday morning, as a Christmas present to Jonathan and our three grandkids, we took them up to Sight and Sound to see Moses in Lancaster. If you don't know about that, you need to Google it and find out about it. It's really great. It's expensive, but you'll like it. And it's a great story on the big stage there at the Millennium Theater in Lancaster. You know, I think I had in my mind that when Moses killed the Egyptian ruler, the Egyptian uh, leader, slave master, and buried him in the sand, and then the next day was caught by the Israelites and they mocked him when he was trying to break up their fight, that he headed off into the desert 
and that that kind of separated him then from Egypt. You remember he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter and, and he was raised in the lap of luxury and power. And, and that he went off into the desert and, he, and Egypt just kind of faded away. And when he came back 40 years later, he was determined to live with God's people. And that's really not the, that's not the inference of the passage. And I think at Sight and Sound in the Moses drama, they did a really good job of showing that there must have been a defining moment in Moses' life. It's kind of reflected upon here. By faith, when he was grown up, refused... There it is. He didn't just fade off into the desert and then come back the leader. There was a day and a time when he said, no more, no more am I identified with this. I refuse that. It's a defining, life-defining moment. And then it says, choosing, the beginning of verse 25. He made a choice. I am choosing to walk away from this and to turn here. But notice What was compelling Moses? This is powerful. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin is fun, we'll admit that, but it only lasts a little while. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What is that? Moses had a reward in mind. Moses had treasure in heaven compelling him to make life-altering, value-shaping decisions in this life so that there would be a reward in heaven. Somehow that relates to the treasures of heaven that Jesus is teaching us that we can take natural resources and turn it into spiritual and eternal treasures. In heaven. I don't know what that's going to look like, whether behind our mansion in heaven there's going to be like a shed, and in that shed you can pull the doors open and here's all your treasures that you laid up. I'm a little bit worried that mine's going to, my shed's going to be about the size of a doghouse. It could be a huge pole barn. I don't know. You know, we picture things funny, don't we? So here's what I want to do this morning. For the remainder of our time, I would like to be very, very practical, and we're not going to be able to address a number of important issues related to the how-to of laying up treasure in heaven. And so we will probably, we will very likely visit this next week as well. You can think of this as a part one. What I want to do is I want us to look in Scripture at other passages that tell us If you do this, you will lay up treasure in heaven. That defines for us some actual behavior, actual life elements that if you do these things, what does that look like? How does this look on a daily basis? I'm telling you there's more to this than meets the eye, and a lot of it has to do with heart attitude, and most about the heart attitude we'll we'll deal with next week. Let's just address, starting with 1 Timothy chapter 6, in a a hopefully uh, somewhat of a practical way, answering the how-to. So here's the question. How do I lay up treasures in heaven? How do I lay up treasures in heaven? I answer the question like this. I can lay up treasure in heaven by my, number one, intentional acts of generosity. I can lay up treasure in heaven by my intentional acts of generosity. 
I'm not making this up. Here's what Paul taught Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Timothy was a young pastor. He was in charge with the congregation, probably Ephesus at this point. And Paul knows that there's no middle class in the church. There's rich people and there's poor people in this time. And look what the interesting thing he says, something that American pastors would rarely do. Paul instructs Timothy to tell, to exhort in a compelling way. So to urge them, rich people, to do a certain thing. Notice what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them, see that? Exhort them, compel them, charge them not to be haughty, that would be proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I like that part of the verse, don't you? It's okay to have a bass boat and a tackle box and a rod and to go out on the river with a couple sheet subs and a Mountain Dew and enjoy the evening fishing. You don't have to feel one bit guilty about that. It's all right. God gave you the wealth and you can enjoy it and you can enjoy it. This is right. You got to get dig a little deeper though to find out what is driving you to sell your boat and get another boat. Provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18. But they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share... Look at this. Look at verse 19. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I'm not 100% sure I can explain everything that Paul means by those phrases. But it sure looks to me like what he's talking about is laying up treasure in heaven with material wealth down here. And Paul's telling Timothy to charge the wealthy people and... For all practical purposes, this is a room filled with wealthy people, isn't it? Multiple cars, multiple televisions, closets filled with clothes, garages full of junk, basements and attics filled with junk, sheds crammed full of stuff. We're just loaded. We're loaded. We're wealthy. Now notice the contrast from verse 18 and verse 17, okay? All right. The rich in this present age, so that's nowadays, right now in this present age, to not be, number one, don't be proud of your wealth. Don't be haughty. So you don't flaunt it, and you don't do things to make sure people know you're wealthy. Don't be proud. Number two, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Proverbs says that wealth grows wings and flies away. I remember one time sitting in a restaurant on the West Coast with a a pastor of a large church there that we were visiting. And we sat down to eat in the restaurant and a family came in and sat down at a table across from us. And he got up and went over and hugged them and greeted them. He came back over and he whispered to us the story. He said, that's one of the main families in our church. It's a big church. He said, that family had a, a corporation and a business that was hugely successful. And in fact, they were the largest giving unit in our family, they gave, in our church, they just gave phenomenally to our ministry. Said then when the economy downturned here in about 2008, whenever one of the sons of that family-driven company and corporation was in charge of the finance, he made some investments and they lost everything. He said now our church has to give to them out of our benevolent fund. 
You think riches is something you can trust your life with? You think it's an unscalable wall, like a fortress, and it will protect you? That's the temptation of the wealthy, Paul says. Watch it. Don't be haughty. Don't put your trust in riches for your security. But put your trust in God, who has given you these things to enjoy. Now, in contrast with that, but verse 18, they are to do good and to be rich in good works. I take that that's not like a little trickle of good works. They are to be rich in good works. They're to be known for their good works in the sense of it's characteristic of how they live their lives. There's so many different rabbit trails that are tempting to go down. There is one thing that pops in my mind. If you study 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, where Paul is teaching the Corinthians about giving, he will, do, he will teach this. He will say that if you give, and you give with the right motive, that God will continue to give to you so that you can keep giving. If you be rich in good works... And you say, but I'll give away all my wealth. You watch it, it won't. God will increase your wealth as you give. Now, we can distort this into the health and wealth gospel. And we can say, give so that you'll get. That's absolutely the wrong motive. You give because you're going to store up treasure in heaven. And then God resupplies. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation because they are generous and ready to share. Intentional acts of generosity is one way that I lay up treasure in heaven. Isn't that remarkable? Now, what does that look like practically? I was thinking about a life given to just faithful offering giving. You say, Pastor Van, I knew you are shameless. You are shameless and you're trying to get the offerings to go up in your church. I absolutely am. That doesn't have anything to do with me. But I would love to stand before the Lord someday and to hear him say, well done to me. I worry about that, that I do too much in the flesh for that. And to say, your church, your church gave and gave, and gave, and gave. Well done. Wouldn't you love to be a part of that church? It's not hard. We already made budget. I'm just telling you that if you spend your life giving generously to the regular offerings of the church, just think of the treasure you can store up in heaven if with the right attitude and with joy and with generosity, not doing the like... This week I give $10.17 because that is exactly 10%. And you're sure not going to give 18 cents because it puts you over. 0.000001. I can't do that. I'm talking about generous giving. You look at the flags. You put the flags there. You kept the missionaries on the field. You built this church. You paid for the chairs. You paid the pastor's salaries. You paid for the day camps. You paid for the yellow bus. You bought the tractor. You put the classrooms out there where boys and girls are going to hear about Jesus. Why wouldn't you want to give to that? Why wouldn't you say, are we giving enough? So just the regular plate offerings. 
characterized by just pouring it in. And then special offerings. What a joy to bless our missionaries who are going to go live in the God-forsaken country of Nigeria. Get your head blown off. Who wants to go there? I don't want to go there. I suspect Tom and Heidi don't want to go there. But for the gospel, and the least we can do is flip a little Bob Evans money in a basket, right? I'm telling you, just the opportunity for regular and special giving can be one way that we can lay treasure up in heaven. Isn't that remarkable? You don't tell people about it. You don't blow your trumpet. Remember, we've already had that lesson. And I'm thinking quickly about other things. How about hearing a prayer request? How about hearing a prayer request? Somebody just lost their car. Somebody lost their job. Somebody has long-term health care needs. Why wouldn't I immediately think, I wonder if there's a way I can bless them. I wonder if there's a way I can meet a need. I can give. I'm talking here not about poor people, giving to poor people. I'm talking about giving as God puts it on your heart. How do I lay up treasure in heaven? Intentional acts of generosity. Secondly, and closely related to this is, number two, how do I lay up treasure? I lay up treasure in heaven by, number two, special giving to those in poverty. Special giving to those in poverty. Now, this is different than generous giving around me at all different levels. With the right attitude, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17 says this, Whoever is generous to the poor... Lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. I wonder if you think that that repayment is like your little rabbit's foot thing. Like if I give a little money to the poor, then God's going to bless me over here. It's like karma. You know karma? Like if I do a little good deed, then God's going to do a little good thing for me. I'll tell you a funny story that happened to me that's like karma. It's not karma at all. It's not true. But God will bless those who give with the right attitude. This past Monday afternoon, I was sitting in my office, and a guy in our church pulled up in his minivan, and he ran in the office to see the office people. He came out, and I was looking out the window, and I was going to wave to him. And I saw him look down through the glass of his car. His van was sitting in front of my office window, and his lights were on, and the engine was running, and he looked through. And then I saw him double look, and then I saw him go like that. I knew what he did. He locked his keys in his van. So I ran out my back door and I went over there and I said, Hey man, did you lock your keys in your van? He already had his smartphone out and he said, Yeah, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And now he's going to call his roadside service. And I said, I don't bother doing that. I said, we can get that open. It, was, it wasn't a brand new van. And, and so I ran down to Rich's office and I got a flat bar and I got a, a couple rubber coated gloves that were laying there and I got a long skinny wire rod and I ran out there and I put the gloves on there and I jammed the flat bar and I said, you pull that on there. And I ran the rod in there and in like 90 seconds we had him, we hit the power lock and we had him open and he didn't know his pastor could do things like that. <laughs> How'd you, you, I can't believe it. It'll take two hours for roadside service to get here. And then he said this. He said, something really good is going to happen to you. He said it three times. Something really good is going to... And he was, he was like talking to karma talk. Like if I do this, then... Good. Okay, God. 
Well, I didn't give it much thought. It was like all in a day's work. I've unlocked my own truck many times like that. So it is. The next night, we walk into Outback Steakhouse because it's Jonathan's 17th birthday. That's hard to believe. And we're seated right across the aisle from the guy. It's his birthday. He jumps up and comes over there and we're talking birthdays at Christmas time and stuff like that. And then he says to my wife, to Janet, he says, did he tell you what he did for me? I can't believe it. I didn't know you could do that. And uh, he tells this whole story in Outback, animated. Well, they were done. They left. He comes back. He throws a gift card on the counter, on our table. And he says, I told you something good was going to happen to you. Sometimes it works like that, doesn't it? But that's not really, we're not talking about giving so that I can get. There is a principle that God will continue to pour out blessing. But let's take a look at Mark chapter 10 quickly, shall we? Mark chapter 10. And another principle. So we're answering the question, how can I lay up treasure in heaven in practical ways? I can lay up treasure in heaven, number one, by intentional acts of generosity and giving faithfully unto the Lord. Number two, by special giving to those in poverty, specifically to those in poverty. Mark chapter 10 is a familiar teaching. It's about that guy who we call the rich young ruler who came running to Jesus, kneeled down and said, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus very quickly says, that's easy. Keep the law. In other words, don't ever sin. Be perfect. Keep the law. Then you can go to heaven. That's still true today, by the way. The problem is nobody can keep the law. This guy gives absolutely the wrong answer in the story. He says, I've done that since I was a kid. I I did it. And Jesus said, oh, okay, then one more thing. Look at verse 21. 20. He says in verse 20, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. It's like, shazam. I did it. And Jesus says, and Jesus looking at him, he loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. Now look at the next phrase for our teaching today. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now the direct teaching of the passage isn't about laying up treasure in heaven. The direct teaching of the passage is Jesus presenting to this man on a platter in front of his face how he absolutely has not kept the law. A, he has not loved the Lord as God with all his heart because he loves wealth. And B, he has not loved his neighbor as himself because he goes away very sad because he's very wealthy. In other words, I don't want to give to the poor. And by not wanting to give away his wealth to the poor, he proves... That he does not love his neighbor as himself. And when you do not love your neighbor as yourself, guess what? You have not kept the law. Because the sum total of the law is summarized in love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That means that every law and command given in scripture falls under two columns. The love your God column or the love your neighbor column. That's how it applies to your life. And so he's just showing the guy, you haven't kept the law since your youth. You don't even love your neighbor as yourself. Because the guy said, okay, I'm not doing this. I'm not selling my stuff. Because otherwise, I'd be just as happy for my neighbor to have my bass boat as me to have my bass boat. And I'm not as happy to have my neighbor with my bass boat. Okay? That's just the way it works, isn't it? And the old flesh shows us that we're sinners. By the way, parentheses, 
That's the great thing about Jesus. He came and kept the law. And then he went to Jesus, went to God on our behalf and said, can I give my righteousness to them of keeping the law? And God said, yes, that'll count. And he satisfied the holy demands of God by keeping the law for us. And God credited what Jesus did in keeping the law to us so that it's just like we kept the law. Bam. That's remarkable. That's salvation. That's why it's by faith through grace alone and no works. It's amazing. That's propitiation, right? God satisfying the holy demands of God through his own giving and generosity of giving us Christ. And so he says to the guy here, but for our teaching, I want to show you that you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and look what it says. And you will have treasure in heaven. I think there is an application here that when we give to the poor with the right attitude and the right motive, that God credits it to our treasure account in heaven. Take a look at Luke 14 and just reinforce this. We're just scratching the surface of this study. But I just wanted to lay down a basic framework of some of the behaviors, some of the activities that would define our lives as laying up treasure in heaven. Look at Luke 14, and this again is a parable with another direct teaching. It's not really teaching about laying up treasure in heaven, but he says something very interesting. In Luke chapter 14, verse 12, it says, He said also to the man who had invited him, he's talking about a banquet, When you give a dinner or a banquet, Luke 14, 12, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Right? It's easy to stack the invitation list. I like them to come to my house. I don't like them to come to my house. And when you give a feast, verse 13, look what it says. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. They cannot get a $25 gift card and throw it on your table before they leave Outback. You will get nothing for helping these people. You will only get inconvenienced and you'll only get dirty hands and you'll only get lice and you'll only get more germs that'll make you sick. That's all you'll get from these people. Nothing in return. But look, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What in the world does that mean? You will be repaid in the resurrection of the just. I think it has everything to do with laying up treasure in heaven. That when I give as Christ would have me give to somebody who is absolutely poor, who absolutely can do nothing in return for me, that God credits it to my treasure account in heaven. I don't really understand that, but I think that's exactly what it's teaching. Interesting. A third and a final aspect for today's teaching. I wanted to speak practically. So practically speaking, how do we help the poor? The poor overwhelm us, don't they? You drive into Baltimore City to go to an Orioles game and you got guys laying on the sidewalk and all over and under bridges. Like, what do I do? How do I help these guys? I don't have all the answers to that tension. I know that it begins by noticing people who have absolutely no ability to, to help themselves either through brokenness. Did you notice the physical brokenness of these people? Maybe it has to do with somebody who, even if they have wealth in their own bank account, but are so physically broken, they are absolutely poor in spirit. 
They cannot help themselves. They can't, they can't trim their own fingernails. They can't wipe their own nose. They can't, they can't pull a hair out of their nose. They can't shave themselves. Maybe that's exactly part of what he's saying here. And you're there giving to the poor. You're inviting people to your table that you never otherwise would have thought to invite to your table. And they might even make your house stink. You'll figure out a way to get rid of the stink later. I don't know. Thirdly, how do I lay up treasure in heaven? I lay up treasure in heaven, number three, through sacrificial work of the ministry. Through sacrificial work of the ministry. Remember, number one is, I lay up treasure in heaven by my intentional acts of generosity. That's across the board. Number two, specifically, I lay up treasure in heaven by special giving to those in poverty. And number three, by sacrificial work of the ministry. Here's what I mean by this. By ministry, you could put in parentheses if you're writing notes, the gospel, the gospel. We're in Mark chapter 10, or we've turned back to Luke. Let's go back to Mark 10 real quick. And let's look back at that same passage of the rich young ruler where Jesus told him to sell everything and give to the poor. We will only take a few minutes to wrap up now. Listen. And in Mark chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, at the end of the passage, okay, so the guy leaves, the rich guy leaves. He doesn't want to sell his stuff. The disciples are standing there watching the whole thing in Mark chapter 10. And, and this is where the disciples were amazed. And Jesus then gives that familiar teaching where he says, it's so difficult for rich guys to enter the kingdom. Excuse me. <clears throat> it's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. So the disciples are standing there and they say, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looks at them, verse 27. He said, with man, it's impossible. With God, not impossible. All things are possible with God. Then Peter speaks up for us in verse 28. And he says, hey, But don't forget this. See, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. That's what I mean by the ministry. Specifically for the furtherance of the gospel and the building of his kingdom and church. For my sake and for the gospel. Now look at verse 30. This is not as explicit as the other passages, but I think it's implicit. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. That's when they're still alive. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Oh, with persecutions, by the way. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Let me use my own life as an illustration of what I think Jesus is teaching here. I was 17 years old. I dedicated my life to full-time Christian service, and I went off to Bible college, and I was never home again for more than two weeks after that, ever. And I wanted to go home sometimes, but I was never able to do that for different reasons, either working for Bible college money or in ministry. And so I, I lived an average time away from home about 600 miles, always from then on, until mom and dad went to heaven. I never deer hunted with my dad again. I never duck hunted with my dad again. And I always wanted to. And, I, and my dad would say, no, don't come. I would say, I need to come out and hunt with you. No, stay there. You've got to stay in the ministry. And they were always honest to stay in the ministry. And so basically you could say at age 17, I lost my mom and my dad. Not literally, but you understand what I mean? I lost that relationship. I talked to him on the phone. But I didn't get, to, didn't get to be with them. 
So I went to Grace Fellowship Church in Ephrata for four years, an independent Bible church in Martinsburg for eight years, and I'm at Fellowship Bible Church in Shenandoah Junction for 19 years. Do you know how many moms and dads I have in those three ministries who make me pie? Who will love it? The, the older people, if I call them up and said, hey, can I come to your house and eat a piece of pie? They would, Pastor Van, we would love that. Do you know how many houses I have? I, was, I have many houses. I was driving down the turnpike a couple summers ago with our youth coming home when that big weird storm came across the Midwest and put the power out and busted everything up. And before I got halfway home on a Saturday afternoon, Al and Joe called and said, power's out at your house. You come right over to our house to our guest room. I almost didn't leave. That was a pretty nice place to stay. <laughs> I had a house. Nice house. Where did that house come from? Jesus said, you give up and go into the ministry and I'll give you a hundredfold. I have a hundred houses that I could go to this afternoon if I needed to. How many of you would like me to come to lunch at your house today? <laughs> oh, I thought more hands would go up. <laughs> Relax. I really don't want to go to anybody's house today. I'm sick. You understand what I'm saying, right? And how many brothers and sisters I have. How many brothers and sisters. My brothers in Bible college are my best friends in my life. My fellow youth staff. Guys that came on youth staff for us. Everett Vocateur is one of them. Guys that just close friendships and relationships and fun times. And children. Who give you more children. Do you know how many children I have in my life? From all the camps. And the Bible schools and the youth groups, you see, he'll give a hundredfold. Now that's what he's saying here. And then he says, though, to make the point for our passage, though. Look what he says. That's what he means by that hundredfold. With persecutions. Now, I've sidestepped that pretty well. And then he says, and in the age to come, eternal life. Do you think you get eternal life? By just going into the ministry? Do you think if you become a priest, you can get eternal life? What's he talking about there? He's talking about the fruit of a repentant life that's driven by the gospel that produces eternal life. But I would argue that inferred in the passage is the reality that there is an eternal reward for that. And we can build that in other passages as well, but we're, we're well out of time. In Matthew chapter 25, I will reference this. In Matthew chapter 25, let me just remind you that that's the story of the, t the talents and the master who goes on a journey. Someday we'll get there in our Matthew study. And in verse 21, look what it says. When he comes back from his long journey, he remember he gave one guy five talents, another guy two talents, and another guy one talent. The guy with the one talent buries his talent. The guy with two talents and five talents produced, doubled up their investment. It's a, it's a parable about the gospel and about ministry. And it says, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, look what it says. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. What does it mean that he will set you up over much? I think that you can argue that that spills over into eternity. There's other passages about that. 
that you will be blessed because of the sacrificial work of the ministry. Have you ever sacrificed anything for the gospel? Let me ask you that question. Have you ever sacrificed anything for the gospel? I, I know that we all regularly give out of our surplus for the gospel. But I'm saying, have you sacrificed for the gospel? You know, some guys who, uh, who sacrificed for the gospel are these guys. It's their anniversary's coming up. It's Roger Yodarian and Pete Fleming and Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and Ed McCulley. And it's over 50 years now. On January 8th, 1956, they had said goodbye to their wives and their young children. These guys were young. They were in their 30s. And they stood on the banks of the Curé River. This story got quite popular a few years ago, 10, 12 years ago, with the Point of the Spear movie. And they stood there and let the Alka Indians fill them with spears and arrows when they had firearms with them. But because of the gospel, they yielded over their lives. Do you know that because of that, the Alkas were, they have become a reached people group and have the gospel and have sent out pastors. And we will, we will among the limitless tribes and nations at the feet of Jesus someday, sing the song of the redeemed with Alka martyrs. These guys and with Alka Indians. Is that going to be great or what? Does that make like a little incident on the side of a river in 1956 a small deal? I think it kind of does. That for all eternity, there will be Alkas at the feet of Jesus with us, celebrating back and forth to the heavenly city and here on the reshaped earth. And we will live for eternity with Alkas. Because somebody sacrificed for the gospel. I suspect that these guys received treasure in heaven because of giving their lives. I suspect that all of the grief and the pain of their wives and their children who lost their husband and lost their daddies, that they were able to put some treasure in heaven because of that sacrifice for the ministry, the gospel. I don't think you, you wake up in the morning and say, how can I hit my foot with a hammer for the sake of the gospel? Or my hand, my thumb with a hammer. But as God burdens us for the cause of the gospel and whatever that would look like as it takes shape in your life, changing your job, altering your schedule, changing your financial budget so you can get engaged. Jim Elliott said it best when he's known for his quote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's what Jesus is talking about here. I, I really need this teaching in my life. Because remember my doghouse size shed with my treasure in it in heaven? If I get to live a little longer, I'd like to have a bigger shed full of treasure in heaven. Not so that it's like people will think Van's cool. But because I am so compelled by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truths of his word... And the reality that this is what life is all about. That my life right now is designed so that I can lay up treasure in heaven. That is a motivation for your business. That I would grow my business so that I have more to give. And then God will keep growing your business so that I can give more. It's not health and wealth. It's driven for the gospel. It's driven for treasures in heaven. 
Let me make myself clear on something. Number one, I'm not talking about salvation today. I'm not talking about doing things so that God lets you into heaven. What I've been talking about today is giving to the poor, giving generously to needs, giving sacrificially for the ministry, lays up treasure in heaven, not to get me into heaven, but it's because I'm going to heaven that I'm going to do that. It's because God has redeemed me and remade me and changed my life with the gospel and because I know it's true that I do this. And I get to lay up treasure in heaven. What a great deal that is. So do not be confused. Salvation always and only is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. It's partly why we, I picked the song, In Christ Alone, today. So don't confuse my teaching today. I'm speaking about people who know Christ and want to build treasure in heaven. The gospel that saves us then becomes the gospel that drives us. We're only saved by the substitutionary death of Christ where he kept the law from us and by faith we trust in him for our salvation. Second thing I want to say, and this is it. Young people here, look up at me. The Spirit of God has stirred your heart today. Do you realize what a great opportunity you have if you're 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 19, 25? You're young. You have your entire life to take the resources and the assets and the blessing of God and store up treasures in heaven that will last for eternity. You can do it. You haven't wasted your life yet. So don't waste your life. Old people, you have time to alter your life and start laying up treasure in heaven to alter your life so that you are driven by eternity and by the gospel. Listen, this should define us. This should define us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and that we don't have to keep the law because we're incapable of it and that out of your grace and your mercy, You sent Jesus to keep the law for us. Praise God. Thank you, God. And Father, we marvel at your whole plan of salvation and how it all fits together and how we fit into it. And it seems just mind-boggling. But we certainly understand that we're sinners. And we certainly understand what it is to be driven by the things of this world. All for the flesh. And we recognize the power of the gospel and the reality of eternity and that you're building your church and that you're at work in people's lives and that you use people to accomplish your purposes. So would you please show us and show me how to be a church and a pastor that is driven by eternity and driven by the gospel that we lay up treasure in heaven. Father, as we continue to study this for the next week or so, would you just open our eyes and change and soften our hearts and just help us to be your empty vessels, sanctified and fit for your use. Lord, I pray that there will be no confusion today that anyone thinks they can work their way into heaven, but that you loved them so much you sent your son Jesus to die in their place, that by believing in him they'll have everlasting life, and that alone. Please, through your spirit, make that clear. Father, in 2015, 
Would you help us to get our priorities straight and live for eternity? Show us what it takes to do that. Give us the courage to make change where change is needed. In Jesus' name I pray and ask these things. Amen.